the Trevor Chapman show over the past, I guess, what, eight or nine months now has risen to number one on iTunes for business podcast. And you actually hit it. What was it? 45 days before you hit number one? I got, so I got top 10 within the first 45 days. I consistently held it from day 45 on. When did you hit a million downloads? Probably by episode 20. We stand today. The Business Method with a shout out. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, welcome to the Business Method Podcast, where we examine the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. Our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we are interviewing 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that generate a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There's a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses and we wanted to get behind the minds, the logic, and the science of what it takes to build a business like this. We've had some incredible guests like Bobby Edwards, the founder of Squatty Potty, who built a $35 million per year company with just 17 employees, and JP Sears, the YouTube superstar whose videos are going viral all over the internet. I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and we hope you enjoy the show. The Business Method. Welcome back to the show, listeners. We are very glad you joined us today. Today on the mic, I am humbled and honored to introduce Trevor Chapman to the show. Trevor is the founder and host of The Trevor Chapman Show, which currently is ranking number one on iTunes Business Podcast. I got the opportunity to meet Trevor a few weeks ago after a presentation he gave, and listening to him was absolutely incredible. I can honestly say I will never forget it. Today, we get to speak with Trevor about getting his podcast to the top of iTunes and less than two months. Trevor also shares about building his multi-million dollar business, gaining a winner's mentality, and the importance of being a good father and a a high achieving entrepreneur at the same time. You guys, you do not want to miss this episode. And without further ado, let me welcome Trevor Chapman to the show. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Trevor Chapman, my man, I'm so happy and honored to have you on the show. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much, Chris. Appreciate it. Excited to have this conversation. I'm glad to have you here. And we just spent a week on an island in Croatia, which for me was, I think the best way that I could explain it was like, you know, the the levels in Mario Brothers, when you go down in like level two in a pipe and you come out in like level 10, I think <laughs> <laughs> that was my experience yeah. in Croatia. How was it for you? Dude, I loved it, man. I, uh, I, I really place a lot of value on spending time around people that elevate uh, my my thinking, you know, my my productivity, the goals that I have, the results that I anticipate. And so anytime I can be around a bunch of high achievers, I love it. And that was a that was a great group of high achievers. I think too many times people start going to the same things over and over and over. Yeah. And then we just plateau. This is like human nature, you know, like ants have plateaued and termites have plateaued for like 100 million years. There's been no substantial change in what they do. And, um, you know, humans, we have that tendency as 
as we come from that same heritage. And so I enjoy putting myself in situations where I'm forced to grow. And this, this was one such event. I've got to tell you this, uh, and you may be flattered, but we were at a dinner in Split a couple of days after the event, and someone said listening to you was kind of like listening to Elon Musk. Oh, that's awesome, dude. <laughs> right? That's flattering. Uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is flattering, dude. Yeah, dude, that's really flattering. It's funny. There was an I was uh, I spoke on this one um, like charity event, and the uh, the lady that organized it said something along the same lines that those are like those little phrases that you just hold dear, you know, because it, uh, that's ah, very flattering, man. Thank you for telling me. I like that. No problem. I'll, I'll tell you who said it later, uh, if you cool. want to, but I do. Yeah. Yeah. But I was, I was checking out like your, your history and I'm, I'm, I think we have some similarities, but like, I'm really impressed. You did door to some door to door sales and business back in the day. I did not for 12 years, but I did for like three months selling books door to door as an internship in New Hampshire. And, mm. um, I know from my experience, like that makes you the, the amount of emotional growth that a person goes through, through any type of sales, but like door to door sales is mind blowing. And you did it for, for 12 years. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, I actively knocked for probably <laughs> six or seven, right. And, uh, and then built teams during that time and everything, but all in all, yeah, 12 years I was in the industry. Wow. Yeah. What do you think if you could sum it down to this, like what was your biggest takeaway from the door to door experience? Controlling your state. That is the one and only thing. Obviously you learn interpersonal skills. You learn how not to be afraid. You know, when you, when you're, knocking in uh you know compton and a six and a half foot tall you know african-american opens the door and looks down at you like you're not the the drug dealer i was expecting and then you try to sell the pest control like like that takes a, a very specific um uh you know it's just that that takes a specific set of confidence to, to get through those moments but all those things aside everything that you learn from persuasion everything else the thing that i that I took away the most was controlling your state because it, it, you, it has to be a prolonged state control. Okay. Otherwise you just, you lose. Okay. You don't, you don't make it. So, so a couple things. First thing, did you really sell books or did you sell door to door in Compton? Yeah. Dude, wow. Compton was one of the best areas. Wow. So my, my security company, I love Compton. So we, yeah. we killed it, man. And I, uh, like to this day I have, friends in Compton that, you know, when I'd be down there, I'd swing by, have dinner with them. And wow, you know, I, I kind of stood out like a sore thumb, but yeah, man, that was my area. Right on, man. Well, props to you. And, and the second thing, um, what are some of your go-tos to control your state? So routine, you have to be very routine. I, a few years ago for my solar teams that were knocking doors, I wrote out my exact routine, but but for me, first off, you've got to, to control your states. There has to be a gravitational endpoint that will pull you through the roughness. And so you have to have a vision beyond the, the moment in time right now. And so for me, what I would do is I would listen to the same book every day because it was the book that got me jamming. I would go into the same gas station. I would drink the same drink. Doing these things in the proper succession day after day after day after day eventually takes the decision away. The problem, the reason why people don't maintain state is because they start deciding. 
Mm. And anytime you start deciding and you have a decision, it's always easier to follow. I mean, that's how we're built as these survival, you know, genies. We are built to conserve energy, to stay away from uh, potential dangers. You've got to get the decision out of you. Decide, suicide, homicide, you know, they all end inside the end of something. <laughs> and to decide is the end of other options. And so you've got to get yourself in a place where you get into state and you hold it. Dude, the thing that amazed me, I would be knocking doors and it would be hour eight, hour nine, knocking doors straight. And someone would come and they'd be like, dude, I don't want to buy, but you really like your job, don't you? And blew me away because I didn't. I didn't like it, man. But, but it was a stepping stone that I had to do. I, I was so in state that these people thought that I could not get enough time on the doors. Wow. That's impressive, yeah. man. Well, I've got to ask you, what was that book or those books that you were listening to back then? Yeah, back then, uh, really two mainstays, The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Clayson. It's an old yeah, it's classic, and it helped me. And then The 17 Laws of Success by Napoleon Hill. Everyone listens to Think and Grow Rich, but The 17 Laws of Success are, the, 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 like, those impacted me. So those were the two books that I consistently listened to during those seasons of my life when I was knocking. And it, you mentioned also something, the, the bigger, the grander vision that pulls you through to keep you going. What is that for you? So it's changed at various times. You know, I shared that story on the island of 2008 when everything fell apart for me. That, that bigger, grander vision was, uh, and it's going to sound ridiculous, but it, it, it truly was what it was for me. You know, if I had to write a phrase on the wall, it would have been, be Richard Branson. Back then, I was like obsessed with Richard Branson. I loved everything about his life. I loved everything about what he had accomplished. I thought people who had accomplished more but had done less for the world than him, and I know that there's, you know, no matter how thin you slice it, there's two sides. I get that. But he inspired me, and so this was my own path building up to that. And so, you know, that summer, I opened an office in Florida specifically so I could buy a sailboat, sail down, and chill with him on Necker Island, unbeknownst to him. Nice. <laughs> but um, but, but that, that greater vision changed. And after a while, it was, you know, once I had kids, it was building an estate for my family. And Instead of just kind of surviving, you know, it was proactively building something that would last generationally. And is it still similar now or what's that vision now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, economically it's similar, but I've got, I mean, I've got, uh, now it's evolved more because I understand myself better. I understand the internal drivers that I have. I, I've got, when I graduated from high school, I had a buddy and he said, you'll either be a millionaire or you'll be a beach bum. And I said, <laughs> I'll be both. Um, because I've got, I've got two very distinct you know, subsets of, of desires and, and as a result of that, how I am, who I am. And so those understanding myself allows me to understand what carrots and what sticks I need to have in order to achieve that. For me, like if I was to sum it up right now, I seek two things, tranquility, because it's hard to define what happiness is, mm -hmm. but tranquility and peace of mind. So if I have tranquility and peace of mind, then, uh, you know, too often people think that's some passive, you know, lay on the ground and that's not what it is at all. Because for me to have, for me to be tranquil, I have to have a lot of achievement behind me. Otherwise I'm not tranquil. But those, those, those are the two things that drive me. I can relate to that. 
when you get to a tranquil state, how long does that last until you're like, okay, I need to get to, I need to have some more achievement before I can hit that again? Well, tranquility is more for me. It's more a constant. Um, it's like an undertow. There have been times when all of a sudden I've taken like a six month break, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I, I that's not really me. Like while I may have took a six month break from whatever I was doing economically, I was focused on other projects. I'm consistently focused on building something. And, uh, you know, entrepreneurship is kind of where I found my stride. It's the entrepreneur today is the explorer of the 1500s, you know, the Magellan uh, of this time period. And it's the Michelangelo and Da Vinci of the Renaissance. You know, it's the Benjamin Franklin and um, the early figures that created this republic over here and so like today those people that really push things forward are entrepreneurs and so i i just feel that that's that's where i best fit it you know describes me what do you what do you see or what do you predict over the next like 10 to 20 years for entrepreneurship yeah it's going to um so here's the thing it's changing you know entrepreneurship used to mean brick and mortar buy low sell high now it's like this morph thing you know and so i think that we're going to come out with subsets entrepreneurship will be a broad term and underneath that there will be subsets because if you're in tech that's different you know you're pre-revenue for 10 15 years sometimes that's not the same type of entrepreneurship and so it will become more defined. And, um, you know, to me, entrepreneurship, that be, being a tech entrepreneur is 100% falls in the same realm, but you deal with a lot of different stresses. And people that would thrive in a, I've got to, you know, make payroll today, uh, those that can do that can't necessarily sit down and write code for 50 hours mm-hmm. and vice versa. And so I just think it will become more defined, but, but we'll start to see that it's what, um, those, so I saw this statistic the other day, 70% of the world's wealth is held 70% of the world's individual wealth. So not large, you know, funds, but 70% of the world's individual wealth is held by millionaires. Yeah. That means that everyone else holds only 30% of the world's wealth. Yeah. And so you can't do that working for somebody else. Yeah, that's a good point. So, man, let's talk podcasting, dude. You uh, blew me away in your presentation on the islands. All the other events for me were great, but not as great as yours. Because uh, <laughs> I think it, it really, you know, when you find that speaker that just talks to you and you've been waiting for and they say everything that you need to hear. For me, that is what I heard when I, I heard you speak. And I was like, oh, taking notes. I couldn't stop. I loved every second of it. So thank you for that. Thank and, you. Absolutely. And so the Trevor Chapman show over the past, I guess, what, eight or nine months now has risen to number one on uh, iTunes for business podcast. And you actually hit it, what was it, 45 days before you hit number one or 45 days before you hit a million downloads? Was that right? No, no, no. It was, so for the first, so there's a variety of statistics that are all, that are all within there. So for, yeah, for the first 10, 15, 20 days, I was attempting to do many different things. I got, so I got top 10 within the first 45 days. 
Um, but it was sporadic. I consistently held it from day 45 on. And so on any given day, it, see, it depends now on whether or not I publish. And I'm getting in the weeds. I don't know if you want to get in the weeds. But when I publish, then I, I pop back up because obviously that's when the listenership occurs, subscribes, downloads, etc. When did you hit a million down, uh, downloads? Oh... I don't know exactly, probably by episode 20. Okay, gotcha. Now, going into this, I'm sure you analyzed... First off, I want to ask you, why did you decide to start a podcast? Yeah, so it was purely selfishly. There was two two reasons. The first one was that I want to be able to sit down and chat with people much more intelligent than me, much more accomplished than me, way further down the road than me. And if I just write them an email and say, hey, can I have an hour and a half of your time? I'll, I'll either get a no or no response, or they'll say, sure, it's 100 grand. But if I have a podcast that is respectable, then I can sit down and literally pick their brains for as long as I want, absolutely free. And they feel like it's a win win. They don't feel like it's, you know. The other interesting thing is that, you know, if I, called out these people and I asked them to speak at my events, they would have a highlight reel that they performed. You know, most presentations are. This allows me to really get the true story, what's actually happening. So number one, so that I could selfishly um, pick these individuals' brains and it just so happens that birds of a feather flock together. Other people just like me are interested in what they have to say. And then number two was for the legitimacy of it, to be able to say, hey, you know, I beat Tim Ferriss and Tony Robbins almost on a daily basis, that uh, there's power in that. And now, you know, I'm more than what I was before I could say that. So when you decided to start the podcast, I'm sure you you dissected the podcasting world probably the very similar way that you look at a business before you start it. Um, what were some of the thoughts and ideas and analyzation that went through your head before you decided to launch a podcast? Yeah, so I sat down and I had to decide, am I going to do this to create revenue or am I going to do this for the other intangibles? Because there's two very different focuses. Because if I'm going to do it for the revenue, then I need to be as broadly entertaining as possible. And I need to pull people consistently through. That means that those episodes that may be only of interest to me, I should probably not publish. And it has a bunch of other implications. And I decided that what would serve me personally and then everyone within my circle of influence best would be to not do it for the revenue, you know, to sell ad space. It would be to do it for the knowledge base. And so not every episode is for everyone. You know, I've had people on that talk about learning from uh, the vibrations of, quote, dead masters who died eons ago. Wow. And some people don't, you know, that's just like, boom. <laughs> like, they can't even take that serious. And so th there's... Uh, so first off, I had to decide what is my purpose in doing this. Once I had the purpose, once I knew what the end result was, I could work backwards from there. And for me to get the people on that I needed to get on, I had to have a tangible result that people could in a sentence comprehend. And so if I said, I beat this in that podcast, people may not even know about that. But there's people on that don't even listen to podcasts. They have no yeah. clue what they are. So I need to find a metric, one sentence, that will impact people, and that sentence was, I beat Tim Ferriss. Because mo most people know who Tim Ferriss is, at least the people in the business world and the high achiever world that I, that I know. So when I found that sentence, 
I can beat or I beat Tim Ferriss almost on a daily basis. Now I know why I'm doing it. I know how I describe it in order to attract the people that I want to attract. Now, how do I do it? And the how do I do is what the experimentation, you know, process took, and that's what I spoke to you guys about on the event, was figuring out what variables result or what variables play into and multiply that result. Uh, for me personally, like you, you, not using a podcast, but having a podcast has been one of the best networking tools. Bottom line, like I've talked to people that I never would have imagined that I, that I talked to, who who just you know, we're like, who were just like, yeah, I'll come on your podcast. Why not? It sounds fun. And and it gives us a medium and a voice that, that I think is going to absolutely continue to grow and, and add value to other entrepreneurs in their lives. So I got to ask you, who is, uh, who's your dream podcast guest? Oh, Elon Musk for sure, man. That's <laughs> why I loved what you said. Dude, look, that guy, let me tell you why I'm fascinated by him. Number one, He's not very charismatic. Mm -hmm. And so they call him Iron Man, but he lacks all of the charisma that Iron Man actually has in person. So he, he's not, when he presents, he doesn't blow people away, man. He doesn't he, rip their heartstrings and just wrench at them and cause emotion. He's very matter of fact. That means that he's achieved what he has because of one thing and one thing only. And it's the one thing that I value above all else, results. Yeah. So he is who he is merely and only because of results. Because you can't say that he has a silver tongue. You can't say that he understands you know, persuasion better than anybody else. None of that. You know, if Tony Robbins, that guy has results. But he also, when you go to his event, of the millions of people that are there, there's probably 1% that have got the results that they sought and then, you know, continued on through life. So it's not, he's not necessarily based on results, you know, but unless the result is the emotion and the feeling that you get momentarily, and then you get addicted to that high, you have to go back for more. Elon <laughs> Musk is solely result-based, and I love that. Have you met him? I have not. I want to very badly. Well, you, <laughs> you rented a boat and then went and met Richard Branton. You should just no, rent a Tesla. I, I did it. Oh, no, you no, did? I did. Oh, that, was my plan. that was my plan, and then 2008 <laughs> happened, and my, my plan fell apart. I got you, I got you, I got you. Okay. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, dude, I've got a handful of them. You know, uh, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Tim Ferriss, these are all people that I admire mm -hmm. um, for what they've accomplished, and they've all accomplished it in vastly different ways. Tim Ferriss, you know, had a marginally successful e commerce company back when you could have had an incredibly successful e com company, you know, before 2010. He was Good doing, point. they believe, 40 grand a month. I mean, half a million dollars a year. Uh, that's you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like especially after cost, that guy's walking home with seventy thousand dollars a year. That's he had to have virtual assistants because he couldn't actually support full time staff in the U.S. And yet he took that marginal in and turned it into he is now you know one of the leading thought leaders in the industry, internet tech, otherwise. I mean, they bring him in to talk about entrepreneurship. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I, you know, I respect everything that they've achieved from those from those levels, and because you know I'm male, and you know all the, all these internal stigmas that that everyone has, I I'm drawn to result based individuals. Who's been your um, either most surprising or your favorite podcast guest? Um, Don 
uh, oh, why can't I remember his name? He's an 11 time New York best selling author. Um, You're like me. I forget. I sometimes forget. My- <laughs> and it's crazy because I, I talk about him fairly often. Yeah, dude. So we spoke about winning. So he spent his career interviewing 2,500 of the world's top athletes. Wow. And he's isolated what makes winners winners and what makes everyone else not a winner. And it was really interesting to hear that. The thing that, that really struck me is that winners hate losing more than they love winning, which speaks to you know the theory that we are pushed forward more by fear of loss than by prospect of gain. Right. And the reason why is because players expect to win. It's not, it's not like, oh, I hope we win. They're just like, well, of course we're going to win. But so that doesn't pull them. The inevitable, the inevitable win doesn't push them to excellence. It is the absolute contempt for losing that pushes them to excellence. So were you taught to win when you were young? Uh, I had to have, right? Um, I mean, I was very competitive. Um, uh, and I've said this before, but you know, I played every sport until it came time to pay for the, for the Jersey. And then I had a good reason why that year I couldn't pay for the Jersey. The one, uh, sport that I didn't have to pay for a Jersey for was debate. And so I was in debate and, uh, you know, focused strongly on that. And yeah, I mean, I'm competitive for sure, but I didn't. You know, my dad wasn't up every Sunday watching football and screaming at the TV. And I don't think we watched a single sports game my entire childhood. You know, I was taught, I've been analyzing this lately, but I was taught to be okay with not winning. And I had to reteach myself. Recently, I started uh, doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and I noticed, like subconsciously, I was applying that during Jiu Jitsu. And, and I thought, well, what the hell? What am I doing? And I had to reteach myself to, one, be okay with winning and to actually just go after that win. And it's the results have been mind-blowing afterwards. But it's funny how, you know, those, those, those thoughts and patterns just kind of resonate with us and, and stick to us after a while. Yeah, I think it's, it's a core part of our DNA to win. Um, we're here because we won. Everyone that lost, you know, they didn't propagate their genetic code. The name of the game is can you procreate and keep that child long enough until they become of age that they can procreate? Like like if you boil it down to the most basic evolutionary goal, that is it. And in that sense, it's binary. You did or you didn't. And so with everything focused on that, you know, we're coming into – dude, there's an awesome book. It's called uh, The Way of Man by Jack Donovan. I read Uh, it. Oh, you did? Cool, yeah. man. And then becoming barbarian or whatever. And so I think it's fascinating how he talks about how society is changing and the detrimental effects that it has. Now, I there, there's positive and detrimental effects with anything. You just have to you have to weigh them. You know, the agricultural revolution were made us sick, made us slow, and made us stationary. You know, we get ninety percent of our diet from less than ten food sources. And yet we're, we're made to intake hundreds of food sources. And so we're vastly undernutritioned, but there are positives that come from that. So everything has to be weighed, right? And so it's okay that what I'm trying to say is I'm justifying the agricultural revolution in this instance, but I'm likening it to this revolution that's happening right now, which is everyone's a winner. Because I think what that produces is a, a weak group of people. Mm. 
Because back in the day, if you didn't win, you didn't get the food. Yep, you died. You died. It's win or die. Yeah. Have you read Sapiens? Dude, that's like one of my favorite books, man. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Were you on the sailboat? We were on the sailboat when we were talking about the book. I was not. Oh, dude, we had a whole chat on the sailboat talking about the book. Yeah, dude, I love, I love Sapiens, man. That is an incredible, incredible book. Have you read the follow up to it? What is the follow? The name of the follow up? Um, I I didn't even know there was a follow up to there, it, man. That excites me. Yeah, it was released three to six months ago, ish, more or less. And no I, way! Awesome. The, the title is <laughs> escaping my mind right now, but um, actually, that would be a great podcast guest. Let's see if we can get him on a on a horn. Yeah, that dude's Israeli, man. Uh-huh. Uh, he'd be he'd be a fascinating fascinating individual. I got a couple of Israeli uh, entrepreneur friends, so maybe they have some contacts there. One thing I'm really impressed with and I admire a lot is that you're an entrepreneur with five kids. And I was talking to my girlfriend the other day and she was like, yeah, how many kids would you like to have? And I said, I think I'd like to have five. So when I heard you had five kids, I was like, oh, I'm going to ask him some questions about that. How do you balance being a father, an entrepreneur, a goal setter, a go-getter, um, with time with the children. How's that work for you? So what I have to do is I have to understand that number one, I've seen that. So I had sales reps who were crippled by this thought. Oh man, every second that I'm working, I'm not with my kids is my primary responsibility to be a father. Is it to be a provider? Like, and so what I recognized is, look, um, I cannot sit at home and spend every second of the day working with my children. So first off, I have a very strong, um, we have very strong like gender roles between me and my wife here, um, which just naturally we we believe the same stuff, so it's good. And so I, I know that the kids are taken care of there. Now, I also for a long time experienced the guilt of working too much and not spending enough time with them. And so each year I take each of them on like a rite of passage trip where, you know, for my son we've, uh, circumnavigated Mount Blanc, some did Kilimanjaro, some did Chokikirao. Like I, I take them on a very specific trip. It's not a few days on a cruise ship. It's like a rite of passage trip. And I do this with each one of them from the age of six or seven on. And that helps me, that, that helps me feel like I'm fulfilling that need that they have to spend time with me because you know, I went on one major trip with my dad growing up, and I think about it to this day. And so with them, if I've got 16 to 18 major trips where there's no one else there, I'm focused solely on them, then I know that that's a big win. In addition to that, I attempt to at least spend, you know, 20 to 30 minutes a day, like outside with them, running around, chasing them, doing this or that. Um and I should probably be more balanced. Um, and I think the older I get, I will be more balanced. But it's the best that I can do with uh, what I believe. I believe that I can be most impactful for them by doing what I'm doing as opposed to setting this all aside and, you know, reading to them. I, I just think that that they need to see me working. They need to see me building. You know, they need to see me in my element and that will impact them the most. I think like being, I mean, I'm not a father or a parent, but being the most authentic person you can be to yourself is the best lesson that you could give children. Absolutely. 100%, man. You did Chalky Kirao, man. I used to live in, um, I, list, I list spent seven months in Cusco. Oh, no way, dude. Uh-huh. So did you, did, you, did you trek up? No, I did Machu Picchu and I had a trek 
booked to do Chalky Cadao, and then um, they canceled on me and said, oh, we're going to go the next day because the other people on the trip are sick because there's only two other people. And then the guide uh, called me the next day, and he canceled on me uh, the second day because the other people were too sick. And, and so so I didn't – I mean, I, it was my biggest regret. I have to go back and, and go to Chalky Dude, go back. Go back and I do know. it without guides, man. We uh, – I, I – Google map. I found it. I had heard about it from some buddies that were backpacking. I found it on a map. I printed out the map. This is like 2012 or something like that. And then we flew down to uh, Lima, you know, bus mm-hmm. to Cusco. I found a taxi driver. And I said, Hey, drive me to this town that's nearby. He drove us there. We tossed our packs on. My son was six years old nice. and off we wandered, man. And for multiple days, we saw no one. Yeah, uh, absolutely no one. But we did pass two like expeditions on the trail of like French and Swiss who had um, mules and locals that were taking them. Dude, the most interesting thing, and I have this video, I need to find it. We uh, we stashed my son's pack because um, we thought that we would be able to just run up and run back down. We ended up being up there three days, and so. By by day two, we had no more food, and so by by day three, I had like some beef jerky left that we were just waiting. And as we walked by this village, you know, high up in the Andes, I was like trying to trade um, the locals for something, mm-hmm. and uh, they kept pushing me away, pushing me away. And finally, I found someone that said, "Okay, I'll trade you." And it was a physical something. I don't remember what it was. Maybe a light or something like that. Um, it wasn't beef jerky now that I recall it. So we had eaten everything. We had nothing. And so I traded them something physical, and they gave us two cans of fish. And him nice. and I sat down on this peak, and we opened it up, and I filmed as we both teared up with the joy of consuming <laughs> this fish, man, because it was just it was otherworldly. And for hours, he could not stop talking about how happy he was and I think those moments of extreme life experiences are so critical for everyone, not just kids, but for you, for me, for older people. We live too much in the median. We live far too at the top of the bell curve, and we've got to have moments on the extreme in order to fully appreciate the, the grand masterpiece that life can be. That's beautiful, man. Uh, just a couple more questions. We'll wrap up. Do you have any more rite of passage, rite of passage trips planned or ones that you want yeah. to do? Well, every year. So this year, um, my oldest, so he's 11 right now. He'll turn 12. We're going to uh, recreate to the best of modern archaeologists' knowledge Hannibal's route from Spain um, up through the Alps, back down through the Alps, and down to Rome. So we're going to attempt to wow. recreate that over 10 days. So that'll be really exciting. And then, uh, you know, and then for the girls, they're not so much, like they're rite of passage, but they're appropriate. Because, you know, my daughter is more of, you know, a lady. She's not interested in these type of trips. Yeah. So I, I take her to like, you know, like last year I took her to Cancun and we spent five days you know, in this resort, hanging out together. For her, that's more appropriate for what she wants to achieve and everything. So, um, yeah, for the adventures with my, you know, with, with my oldest this year, it's that that Hannibal trip. Have you uh, considered the Camino de Santiago? Yeah, 100%. We, we looked at that a few years ago, 
and it's still something I would like to do. And I'll, that's probably one that I'll do with um, my middle daughter because she's more that type. And I think that it, have you done it? Twice. Tell me about it. Amazing. Uh, life-changing, amazing. You know, you, you strap on a backpack and you uh, walk for 500 miles, five weeks across the north of Spain. And uh, sometimes you sleep outside. Sometimes you you sleep in these hostel, they're called albergues. And, but the best part about it is just like letting go of control of everything and letting the Camino, they say, letting the Camino provide yeah. whatever you need. And sometimes like we were lost in the backwoods of these mountains and these people, these Spanish people found out we were lost. So they took us in and they had a big party in their basement and they, you know, we just hung out with them eating tapas and they gave us wine and they gave us like a barn to sleep in and um, phenomenal experience. I recommend the pilgrimage, the book by uh, Paulo Coelho. And, yeah. By Paulo Coelho. Yep. That, yeah. That's how I heard about it. That's awesome, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a hundred percent been on my list 100 yeah. percent. when you guys go if you need any tips let me know i'll um i'll connect with you 100 percent, man for sure for sure and one last question trevor um for the entrepreneurs that are out there in the hustle at the six figure trying to get to the seven figure seven figure trying to get to the eight figures um what are some tips that you would give to them so six to seven is very different from seven to eight because if you have the right product and the right messaging, you can accidentally make seven figures. It's really hard to accidentally make eight figures. So eight figures is deliberate, intentional, annually is what I'm referring to. Um, that's intentional, deliberate. You need uh, a team that is cohesive, right? From from six to seven, you're still kind of wearing all the hats. And so um, – so I, I would I would 100% say too many years I spent trying to be everything, and what I should have done is what I do best and let everyone else do the rest. And so if you sit back and you get to know who you are, I'm I'm a quick start. I know that I can go from zero to speed quickly, but then I need a team to carry it forward because once we reach speed. I lose my interest, and with loss of interest, I'm relying only on discipline, and discipline is great, but discipline alone isn't enough to make something great. It's to keep something going forward, Mm. and uh, and so I I can get it to great quickly, and then I need other people to help keep it great and help moving forward, so know thyself and work on your strengths. I can totally relate to that. And if the listeners want to reach out to you, learn more about what's going on, where's the best place they could do that at? Yeah, so my site, trevorchapman.com. You can also find the podcast. It's called The Trevor Chapman Show. Uh, but then I'm on Facebook, you know, add me. Uh, it's J, it's facebook.com slash Chapman or The Trevor Chapman. Right on, man. Trevor, I want to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your tips and your tricks and all your wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Chris. Thank you, man. I'd love to do it again. Listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners. Thanks again for joining the show. We wanted to remind you about our Get Shit Done one-on-one productivity coaching that we recently just launched. What we do is work with you to create big business goals that are absolutely game changers. We make a plan together and put you in our productivity hacking system that helps you stay on target. Each week, you get a call with yours truly about what steps to take for the following week. Some say it's like a year of productivity in just three months. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com forward slash coaching. Thebusinessmethod.com forward slash coaching.